Spire. From Spire, this is Starting Now, a show about change, resilience, and your next big idea. I'm Jeff Saris. Today's guest is Rafal Tomal. Rafal runs his own solo design studio where he works with clients like Microsoft, Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income, James Clear, and many others. I really think you're going to love this episode, especially if you run or plan to start your own service-based business. Anyway, without further ado, let's get started. So hey, Rafal, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, Jeff, thank you for having me. And so you've been here in the U.S. for 10, 15 years or so, right? Yeah, it's 13 years right now. Okay, 13 years now. So then (laughs) why did you first decide to leave Poland and come to the U.S.? We're going to start at the very beginning. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So uh, I moved to the U.S. USA from Poland right after I graduated high school. And I didn't have plans to go to college, you know, to continue my education. And I had some friends who went that route and they told me like, you know, they've been some, some of them were great programmers, great designers, and they started, started all those programs in, in colleges and universities. And they spent two, three years learning and learning. And, you know, they said it was like too slow for them. You know, everything was moving, you know, much faster out there. So there was no sense like in our industry to really go into this formal education path. So I thought like, you know, I'm, I don't want to go to college. I need to start working. And I was a self-taught PHP programmer. And um, I thought that there is some opportunity out there. And even in high school, I really started working as a freelancer. I started working with some companies. So I could start really making money. I was probably making more money than my teachers who told me I have to go <laughs> to college and, and, you know, have that education or, you know, there will be nothing I can do in my life. So I knew there's something about this. And then this opportunity came out that I can move to you to the United States. I can have a green card and you know, what's the, what's better place to start a career as a designer developer than, you know, being United States. So that's how I decided to, to come here. And was that a specific opportunity or like, is it just the green card system or did something actually pop up? Well, I got a green card for, through my family, through, from my dad. So that was, you know, nothing like specific, like I didn't, uh, because I didn't get it because uh, I was a great programmer or something. So that was just because of of the family. And, you know, I, I took that op- opportunity. I came here. I worked many different jobs, like trying to get through. And when I came here, everyone told me, like, uh, you know, we, we both live in Chicago area and mm-hmm. we know there is a big Polish community here. So when I came here, everyone told me like, oh, Polish people can work on a construction or in a factory. There's you know, no other chance. Colleges are too expensive. You can afford it. So there's no chance you can get any better job than that if you don't have a degree, if you don't have you know, connections with, within these American communities. So that was a little depressing. And I thought like, okay, I'm going to make some money working for my dad's company and laying out hardwood floors and helping move the furniture. I I did everything I could to just make some money, earn enough money to buy a ticket back and go to Poland because that's where I can at least work and do what I, what I wanted to do. And 
and somehow I stumbled upon a, a job offer in a Polish newspaper. They were looking for a PHP programmer. And, oh. you know, not too many people know that, but I was a PHP programmer before I became a designer. Uh -huh. <laughs> and um, so I, I applied for that job. They sent me uh, like a test for a PHP developer. I filled this test. I, I think I passed because they told me that was a Friday night and they told me I can come and start my work on Monday. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they told me uh, later that there was a few people who graduated master degrees and didn't pass this test. So I was <laughs> like, okay, so maybe I am a good PHP programmer then. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, so I started working for this local web design company. And uh, that com my job there was uh, to take design projects and that company hired some freelance designers. So I took the design projects in Photoshop I slice them, you know, back in the day, like what we did with slicing <laughs> Photoshop oh, yeah. projects uh, and then put them together into uh, into a, the custom CMS. That, that was my job. And those design projects, I looked into them and they were so terrible. <laughs> like they look <laughs> nice outside, but I look into the, you know, when you when you are a coder and when you look into this, you're looking for patterns in design. And I was looking like, oh, this color here is different than this color. And this font size is different. It's like there was there was a mess. It was like, you know, they and I realized that those designers have no idea how we code websites at all. Like this uh -huh. is not how you know how it works. So I told my boss uh, that maybe I will give it a try and design our next project in Photoshop because that's apparently what people do. They design projects in Photoshop, so I can maybe design in Photoshop and that and then I will slice it and you know, create a complete website because that would be even easier for me than, you know, than, than trying to slice and, and work with those messy designs. And so, so they said, yeah, okay, go ahead. And so he gave me a chance. And when they saw my first design, they said, I'm not longer a developer. Now I'm a designer in the company. <laughs> so after that, you know, I, and I, that felt good because, um, you know, I thought I was a crappy developer anyway, and I, immediately fall, fall in love in design. So that was that was so good for me. Yeah, was that the, so you were doing PHP development when you said you were in high school. Were you designing then too? Or is this sort of your first foray into design? Well, when I was in high school, I was kind of playing with design. Um, but, you know, programming and, and coding was like my main thing. Like before even high school, when I was, I think I started when I was like 12 years old, I went into <laughs> C, C++, you know, all those hardcore development stuff. And I yeah, was spending at 12 my... years old, <laughs> at 12 years old to be doing C and C++ is crazy. <laughs> but that was, that was, you know, fascinating to me. And I was yeah. spending time in this, you know, uh, it wasn't even anything like visual graphical. It was in this console that was uh, like a text, but everything was text-based. So you'd have to type in a command, then you got a response. And so I started creating, I was very fascinated in creating games. So. I wanted to get into developing games, but my first games was were like those text-based games where you, mm -hmm. you know, everything was descriptive and uh, you had to t type in your commands like walk here, walk there, and there was you know that kind of stuff that was that was fun. And then I started looking more into OpenGL. I don't know if you if you're familiar with that, but that's like a graphical library that you can mm -hmm. do with C C plus plus. So I started doing some of that, and I was also very interested in physics and math. So like, this was like perfect world to me. Like now <laughs> I can connect everything like development, math, physics, 
and create something physical, like real, you know, still in the virtual world, but, you know, it was more real than this, you know, uh, text-based <laughs> games yeah. in a console. So, so that was, that was fascinating. Uh, but so I feel like I had this, you know, urge to go more into those more visual stuff. And, and I spent more time, like even trying to develop those games, like none of those games were like fully developed, like, you know, something that you could play, but, uh, <laughs> But I feel like I spent more time trying to make them look nice. And I was playing with colors. I was playing with playing with some of those gradients and creating shadows. And this OpenGL uh, library allowed you to do all that stuff. So that was fascinating. Uh, but then when you know internet and web was introduced, and I was living in Poland, so that was probably like we're a few years behind uh, the United States with with everything, but. Uh, then, then I saw that I can create a website, uh, and using CSS and HTML, I can actually, you know, like use those colors. I can design in the browser. That's, that's how I was designing. Like I was coding something in PHP, designing right in the browser using CSS, HTML, doing those fancy corners using tables, like all the <laughs> <laughs> crazy stuff we had to do. Uh, but that was, you know, they were looking fine. I feel, uh, I think, you know, uh, so that's that's how it started, but yeah, Photoshop came la way later when I was already when I already had my first job. Yeah. So how did you? So most people would recognize you because of your work with CopyBlogger, with StudioPress, all of like you were. You've been very prolific in this space. How did you transition from um, this first job, this first opportunity at design, into working with Brian, well, both the Brians and everything there? Yeah, so in my that when I had this first job, I quit that job after two years, um, and that was pretty scary, by the way, because I was when I got this job, I was like nineteen, I was living on my own in Chicago. So, so but I I also had this urge to to like have my own business, to you know uh, try uh, work with my own clients, all that stuff. So, so I quit that job after two years. I started my own full time freelance business. And I got some first clients. I, it was, you know, I was doing pretty well. I was posting my my designs everywhere, all the CSS galleries, whatever I could post it. Uh, I was trying to hustle a little bit uh, to get through. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, and then Actually, Brian Gardner. Before, before we go too much further, how did you get those first clients? How did I get my first clients? Yeah, that's uh, so. My first clients were usually from the Polish community. Like my mm -hmm. friends who were uh, contractors, who were plumbers, you know. So I was trying. I was. I started working with some of them, and then they started recommending me further to to their friends. And I knew that you know this this niche is is not very profitable, but I found my way. Like I wasn't doing like you know crazy advanced websites. Like I created a few templates, and I was trying to like recreate recreate those websites so I could still. I still had a good profit margin from those websites. And, you know, most of them were looking the same. I just changed the colors, changed the logo, and all of them, all of them had the same functionality. So, you know, I, I even felt like, well, I could start a business like this and do, you know, very simple and quick websites for, for those clients because they, they don't need custom designs. They don't need advanced stuff like most of the companies uh, offer. But that was also not, you know, like very interesting in the long term. Like I wanted to go into cust more into custom design, work with bigger companies and all that. So, so I started working with those, you know, all those local small business owners and somehow they started referring me to 
day friends and and then the day friends and there was a a client then i think the biggest moment for me was uh one of my friend's clients he hired him for uh you know like construction work and he saw his website and but this client had a much bigger business and that was uh i can't even remember what uh today what it was but they hired me. Oh, that was like a Windows company. That was installing Windows or something. But that was like, you know, much bigger company here in the Chicago area. So they hired me to redesign the whole website for them. So when I redesigned that website, and then, you know, that's, you know, uh, when a lot more people could see me and then, you know, like much bigger companies so that, you know, I'm capable of designing big websites like that. So, you know, I feel like there is, you know, all you have to do is like show your designs and show your work everywhere, not to be too humble. Because when I talked to some designers back then and they were like, oh, I designed this website, but, you know, I'm not very proud of it. So I'm waiting for the next project so I can design it better and then I will show it my portfolio. But it doesn't work this way. Like most clients, they don't even see a difference between good design and a little bit better design. Like Uh they, they can't say that difference. So you know, if you design something, you just have to show it everywhere. So once I started started posting all of those designs on CSS galleries, you know, every day um, and all of those places, then how, you know, how I then, then how I met uh, Brian Gardner, because he found one of my designs on, on one of those CSS galleries. So he contacted me, we met, I started working for Studio Press and which later uh, transitioned into my my job uh, in copyblogger media. Yeah, and I mean, Studio Press at the time was still pretty early. For anyone who doesn't know, Studio Press is uh, the creators of Genesis. So the first episode of this podcast, I actually talked to Brian Gardner from Studio Press. And um, they're the creators of the Genesis theme for WordPress and ended up yeah, merging with copyblogger and becoming this big education slash uh, services platform that's really really grew immensely. When you joined Studio Press, though, how early was that in that journey? Because I know it was before Copyblogger. Yeah, I so when I was working for Studio Press, I wasn't like employee. Uh, I was just a contractor. So I was working on some of the, my, some of the projects. I designed some themes that brands sold through Studio Press. Uh, so that, that was this kind of relationship. But once they started Copyblogger Media, and then they invited me to, to join as their lead designer. And I was 21 or 22 back then. And that was a shock to me because till this day, I was working on those, mostly on those small business companies. And I just had a, started getting some, a few bigger clients. And now I'm working, suddenly working, you know, on those multi-million dollar websites and the biggest blogs in the world and people like Brian Clark, Danny Rose, Chris Brogan, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Tucker and... So that that was pretty pretty big difference. Yeah. Was there any? How did it feel making that transition? So, was there any pushback from going to, from being solo to being part of a company? Yeah, there was. Uh, so in the beginning, I I I, wa- I didn't want to join another company. I had uh, you know this feeling uh, maybe like my experience with the previous company. There was nothing wrong with the previous company. It was just my own perception and like you know my experience that I had, I had, I had a feeling that I'm not good in working in that environment when, you know, I have a boss over me, I need to do this certain, you know, amount of tasks. I don't have a full control over my schedule. I don't have that freedom and everything, but 
But with Copy Blogger Media was very easy because I could still work from home. Uh, I, you know, I had all the freedom I needed. Nobody was, you know, looking at my time. Nobody was looking when I'm working, when I'm not working. So it was like that. This transition was much, much easier, much smoother than I thought. Uh, so didn't nothing really change that much because even before I joined, most of my projects were I was doing for was for Brian and Studio Press. So I was still doing the same mm-hmm. projects. I was just now. Uh, a part of a company. I had, uh, you know, all the benefits of being employee. So that was like a, you know, a hybrid of both both the worlds. That was uh, that was very nice. Yeah, definitely. So now you're actually your past, like copy blogger and everything has changed, and parts of that company were sold. So now you're on your next next journey. Say, so you're no longer part of that company. Um, tell me about that transition from going, so you, now you're going back to being a solo entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. um, also how long um, were you at Copyblogger? So I was working years? for Copyblogger for almost eight years. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So then how would you say you use that time to then move on to what you're doing now? Yeah, so I was treating my work at Copyblogger almost like my uh, college time. <laughs> like that's like my <laughs> education. So I was trying to be like a sponge and like absorb all the information, all the knowledge I could, and working with people like you know Brian Clark side by side, where you know you know we work. Uh, I work personally with him on all of those landing pages, so his pages. I could see his process. You know his way of thinking, uh, how he writes copy for those landing pages, how we plan promos, you know how we sell all of those products. So and for would... anyone for anyone who doesn't know, Brian Clark he founded Copyblogger, and Copyblogger is it's all about copywriting and uh, content marketing and sort of building this this side of sales of mm-hmm. marketing and things that like you and I wouldn't naturally be inclined to do. I feel like we're we're similar in that respect. Like we're we're focused on design and development, mm-hmm. not um not that stuff. So yeah, that is a a wonderful education right there. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot about the importance of of content. Like how important content is, how important copy is. I was it was even kind of depressing seeing how little design matters, you know, that like my design <laughs> was supposed to be only like a background for the copy. But that was also, you know, like that's that's also a challenge to design, you know, some design a website and that's your design is not like overwhelming. It's not taking, you know, um, like it's not the, the primary thing you see, like design is only in the background and then you, you know, support the copy, the content that there is on this website. So, so that was my role. Like I was trying to, you know, um, display in a nice and readable way, whatever Brian wrote, like I wouldn't even dare to, you know, like change anything in his copy or like, you know, if his, uh, if his title wouldn't be readable or something, I would feel bad. So I wanted to like expose his content in the best possible way. And apparently that was the way of, you know, that was the correct way of designing these things. And when we did some testing, when we tested some of those landing pages and sales pages, not too many design changes had such an impact on conversions as you know copy changes. So, uh, so that was that was a big lesson to me. And you know, working with all those people, I also wanted to like understand more. Like you know, when I was working on the website uh, for someone like Chris Tucker, and he has his email newsletter and his products, all that stuff. So I wanted to understand like how that works in this whole business and this whole website. So I started my own newsletter. I uh, I wrote my own ebook, started selling this ebook, 
And you know the the main the main reason for all of that was in the beginning to just to get into this and understand better my clients, better understand you know those people I work with. So I could you know then I saw like wow, there's a huge power in in having newsletter. So now mm-hmm. I understood like why they want to like expose these newsletters, you know. Uh, in a, such a way on, on their website and why it's so important to have a prominent call to action uh, with an op- email opt-in form. So I will start doing this the same for my website, for other clients, and, you know, it, everything worked perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, you were you started building your community, which is, it's awesome that Copyblogger was a company that was so open, like they weren't holding you back, trying to stop you from building something sort of because you were leveraging your name a little bit through there, but also the pro, you were so prolific in the work you were doing. Then you're able to share. There's a lot that you were able to share that was yeah. very public. So yeah, then, that was, you know, that was another reason why I was why I stayed in the company and why I wanted to work uh, for Copyblogger Media because they were so open and they, you know, have gave me that platform to to you know to build my community, to have my own website, uh, to do all this stuff, and you know. I feel like it would be completely different if if I was working for a company that wouldn't allow this. I would probably leave much sooner, and you know it would be a whole different story. It would be probably as beneficial both for the company and both for me. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So then, now that you're on your own, it's how long have you been um, doing this on your own? Uh, so I left two years over, over two years ago. Okay, yeah. So then, how what was it like to get that first sort of post? company client yeah so you know actually leaving you know uh copyblogger media two years through almost almost three years ago was much easier for me much easier decision for me than when i was you know quitting my first job uh and i was you know young i didn't even know what what i'm (laughs) what i'm you know what i'm going to do i didn't have that much money uh saved so like everything was you know much i was much more scared back then than I was today. Like, you know, I knew I already have my audience. I have over 20,000 email subscribers. I had some mm-hmm. ideas, some plans. I can create products. You know, I have a good client base. I can always, I have some connections. I have some um, some good uh, community that I can reach out to and if I need any clients. So it was, I felt pretty secure. Like there's nothing too scary about this. Still, you know, I wasn't, wasn't sure probably which way to go, if I should go more into um, creating products for clients, or maybe I should, you know, um, if I should create, create websites for clients, or if I should create products for myself, you know, and, and start which way to go. Like that was, and also a lot of opportunities came out when people found out uh, that I left the company, I got, you know, pretty, pretty good job offers, you know, like, uh, so there was like, different kind of problems that I had before. <laughs> so now I needed to say no to some very, you know, uh, interesting offers. I needed to decide which way to go and stick to that uh, path for a longer time. So, yeah, so that, w- that was pretty difficult. But finding clients, you know, and going with whatever way I wanted to go was like, wasn't was that, that hard anymore. Yeah, and most of that, seems to be because you did you established your own community your own platform people people then recognize your work i mean because your your design became like the visual identity of these companies so people would really you can recognize 
of course, this isn't like the early days. All of your stuff is different. It's not, you're not just changing logos and colors, but there is, you get to sort of, over time, you've defined your your design language. So then I think people start to see like, oh, this is Rafal. This is, this seems, or this looks like something Rafal would have done, but maybe someone else sort of swiped the idea, swiped the, the look and feel, which, yeah, I think building that community is something that is, building that community and recognition based on like your excellent level of work. I think that's something really that really people can take a lot a lot mm-hmm. away from to see how it's possible to to move forward like this. Yeah. Now, I think building your your personal brand is, is so important because like, you know, you're working for the company, you are known for working for the company. Mm-hmm. But if you are behind this company's brand where you when you leave or, you know, even if it's your own business and you sell this business like do you still have, you know, your own personal brand strong enough to start something next, some, you know, to carry that on to do something, uh, something in the future? So, so that's what was my plan, like working, for, you know, while working in the Capilagra Media, I was, I wanted to build my personal brand. So whenever I leave or something happens, you know, I can start something on my own. I, I have, you know, at least some community that I can, I can, you know, create some products for. So, and that's also, you know, like very exciting to me, um, because most of my people in my community are also designers. So I know their needs kind of because most of them are also beginners. So I'm trying to like, uh, you know, see that through their eyes, what they need, what I needed like 10 years ago, you know, what I wanted to see, what I wanted to learn. But, you know, it's much easier for me to create products for someone who is just like me or was like mm-hmm. me 10 years ago than trying to understand, you know, markets and, and clients who are on a completely different level and living in a completely, completely different world. So, yeah. Yeah, that's smart. Um, are you, what's the split between, so that's education. You're educating other people that are similar to you, other designers, other budding entrepreneurs. What would you say the split is between education and the customer products and your client work? Yeah, so that was, you know, the balance was... Um, was different depending on the time. Like when I launched my my typography course, obviously then I was focused on that, and I um, significant portion of my income came from, from that. From that, then I uh, I wanted to now. So then I went back to to my client projects, start working on some client projects, and I'm trying to find this balance. And right now, like still like ninety five percent of my income comes from client projects. Like it's very hard to beat that and maybe because I you know wasn't like fully invested into cre- creating products yet um, but like I'm also you know going in a way what whatever excites me at the moment so like mm-hmm. if the, I have a, if I have interesting client like I was working for a, on a project for Microsoft like I can't say no and like you know like that was very interesting to me I wanted to dive into that pro- type of project so um, yeah and How whenever I have an idea how did you connect with Microsoft? So Microsoft, um, I got it uh, from uh, through Jason Schuller. You know Jason; uh, mm-hmm. he was the founder of Press Seventy Five uh, back in the day, uh, WordPress theme shop. So, so he was working for Microsoft as a contractor. They were looking for a finance designer. He recommended uh, me as a designer. So that's that's how I found it, and that also shows the power of of your network. Like you exactly. Know, you need to have all those connections and you need to also take care of those connections. Like what I do 
at least once a week, I'm trying to reach out to one person from my network, like someone I haven't talked to for, for years, or I met at a, one of the conferences. And I, I message that person either on, you know, on Twitter or Instagram. And I ask like, you know, how are you doing? You know, what are you working on? And like, I have no specific agenda or nothing to sell to you. I'm just, you know, checking in. And, and usually what happens is like, oh, it's good to hear from you. Are you still doing designs? Because maybe we need a design for one of our projects. And like, I was always surprised, like, I'm not even trying to sell anything. I'm not looking for clients. I'm just, you know, trying to reconnect and like keep some of those connections alive. And, and what happens, like, usually they're looking for, you know, they like reaching back to me, like, we need a designer. <laughs> it's good to hear from you. <laughs> they were like almost expecting me to like offering something or maybe I'm looking for, for work or something. But, you know, I feel like, yeah, you, we, ha- we all have to take care of our networks because it's, you never know what opportunity may, you know, arise. And that's how I also, you know, was uh, the case with Microsoft Project. I reached out to Jason at some point. We talked about some some stuff and and then you know i told him like i'm moving um recreating my solo design studio i'll be open to some design projects all of that and two three months later he he came to me that you know microsoft is looking for a designer so i'll probably never got it if if we never connected you know on a level like that yeah that is great advice i love that like weekly so it's it's sort of like an assignment for yourself i'm going to check in with someone no agenda, keep the community, keep the network that you have going. Like, that's brilliant. And you're sort of doing, that's sort of like building a community through social media, but you're doing it in the one-to-one way that arguably you have a much deeper connection with the people that you're communicating with by doing this. Because if it's just social media posts and you see each other, but you don't really connect. Like, I love that. That's yeah. You know, a surprising thing to me was, sometimes people message me and like, are you still designing or are you still taking clients? Like people don't even, you know, they don't follow you like um, every day. They don't read everything you you write. They don't, you know, see everything you publish. So sometimes people are like out of the loop and then they don't know if you are still designing, you're still taking clients. So it's good to be, you know, if you are, if you are, you know, uh, offering any services, even if you don't need clients, like that's also was one of our mistakes in the beginning. Like I, I focus on creating products and I stopped taking any clients and I was like, you know, disconnected from, from that world. And then people, you know, and I replied to some people like, I'm not taking new clients right now. And that's, that was the message that was sent out to, you know, to, to some of people in my networks that I'm not available anymore for any client work. And, you know, I could miss a lot of, you know, good opportunities. So, so now what I'm doing is, you know, I'm, when I'm working on a product, I can work on a product, but still, you know, like I'm open, I'm available and, you know, for, for anything, if something comes up, you know, I may say I'll be available in three months, you know, to work on this. It doesn't mean that I have to drop everything, you know, that I'm working on currently, but just, just, you know, keep just, just having this message in your network that you are in the game that you are available like that's that's i feel like it's important oh yeah it's it's vital and i mean that's something that we also we have sort of failed on that front you know like as spire like dave and i we we've at one point sort of stopped taking on clients and we we haven't gotten completely back into that at all like we do we partner with some people and we have some great relationships but your approach is that is 
that is the way to go. And sort of in retrospect, I sort of wish we would have done that, you know, just really mm-hmm. to keep that community, the network, the connection going with everyone. Um, in, in terms of projects, how many would you say you take on a year generally? Um, I usually have like maybe 10 projects, less than 10, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year was uh, when I started, when I got back to my, my solo design studio and, you know, it's also, it's, I started having different kind of relationships with clients because before it was mostly like one-time projects, but now I'm, when I, if there's a client I like working with, so I'm, we try, I'm trying to establish a, like an ongoing retainer. So mm-hmm. that's what I have, for example, with, uh, with Pat Flynn and Fusebucks. Uh, I'm working on a regular monthly basis for them. And, you know, I love working with them. They like, I hope they like working with me. <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, so I can at least have, uh, you know, like a week reserved just for Fusebucks. I don't have mm-hmm. to worry about, you know, getting new clients uh, that much. If I have at least, you know, one week during the month filled out with, with a work for client that I like, you know, there's there's always a risk when you take, too many new clients, too many new projects that, you know, you will fall into few projects, you know, that you don't like uh, work on or, you know, the clients are not the, not a good fit for you, you know. So if you find someone that, you know, you love working with, find a way to um, to, to uh, continue that relationship and, and on some sort of at least monthly retainer. Yeah. How do you negotiate the retainers? Yeah. So, you know, this is usually based on number of hours and what i do is i offer a lower uh hourly rate if it's um you know on a monthly uh if we said like you need 20 hours a month then i can offer you like my typical hourly rate is 150 dollars but for for monthly retainers it could be like 120 or 125 and you know that's a good deal for clients it's a lower uh hourly rate also not every client always use all the hours during the month mm-hmm. but you know for them is they they at least know I'll be available for that, you know, because that's the hardest part. Like sometimes I had a small project from a client who who I worked with before and I had to schedule that project like two months ahead. And, mm-hmm. you know, that didn't always work for my clients. So I told them like, we can, we can, you know, you can save 10 hours of my time every month. And if you have small projects like that, I would just jump in and, you know, and I would have that spot reserved just for you. Oh, excellent. And do you then log your hours? Is that something that's very transparent or is it more something where they trust that you're doing the work, you're accomplishing everything and fulfilling sort of the yeah, agreement? Yeah, I, I log my hours just just to have it in the record, just in case and someone asks, mm-hmm. like, you know, but I never, you know, and my clients never ask me about like how many hours you spend on this or that, like they never ask about that, but I log my hours and I'm also very flexible. Like sometimes we go over in one month, we go five hours over the, you know, the budget and another Mm -hmm. month, because I know that another month, maybe there will be, you know, five hours less than I need to work on. So I'm trying to also be more flexible. And that's also, you know, like building that relationship with the client, I feel is, uh, that's what I'm trying to do, like trying to be nice to my clients. And sometimes, sometimes I read some of those, um, freelance freelancers guides and and they say like oh you have to you know whenever a client has like there's a scope creep or something or they don't pay they they missed uh invoice a couple of days you have to resend a reminder be you know all those kind of stuff like that's the opposite of how i work like i'm trying to be very nice i'm trying to be flexible they usually 
maybe I was lucky I didn't have clients that would take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. They usually have some sort of maybe like feel like they had debt uh, over me that, um, you know, that I was so nice and I spent a few more hours. So they trying to be then nice to me and, you know, have a, you know, uh, easier approval of, of the project or they don't have that many comments about the project. So I feel like we're creating this, you know, very friendly and, and you know, nice uh, environment that we both like working. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how you build a really strong network. You're, you're giving more than is expected, which is awesome. How do you then decide? So when you're say pitching the person on a retainer is, do you outline the things that you think you could do for them on a monthly basis? Do you work with them? Do you ask them what they might need? Like how, how does that conversation go? So they usually have a roadmap like of stuff they they will have like for the upcoming I don't know six months. So we're trying to schedule that, and I take that roadmap, uh, split that into individual tasks, and I say, okay, I can do these and these. You know, we're trying to create a schedule like which of these tasks can be accomplished. You know, in in those particular months, uh, but some and also leave like five couple hours, uh, you know, just for, for any unexpected tasks or, you know, stuff that they don't even, uh, they can, they can schedule right now. They don't know that may happen. So we also leave that room for, for unexpected things. Mm -hmm. How do you bill them then? Is it a recurring, is it a, like an invoice and send you a check? How do you handle all that? Yeah, I send a, I send a recurring, uh, invoice, um, every month. We usually have like a, that's also much easier for, for clients because they usually establish like a, um, like a direct deposit, you know, every, mm -hmm. every month. So they don't have to worry about, you know, opening invoices, sending checks, like doing even that, you know, it's, it's, it's also extra work for some clients. And, you know, most of my clients are also solopreneurs. They don't have team. So they handle all the invoices, you know, payments, everything themselves. So if I can make it easier for the client, set up a recurring payment on a credit card or something, that's also, you know, much easier for everyone. Yeah. What do you use for your recurring payments? Is it a WordPress, pl Word WordPress plugin or something else? So I use Harvest app uh, for all the invoices okay. and that's mm -hmm. connected with Stripe and PayPal. So, oh, and with Stripe, you can create uh, recurring uh, payments. Yeah. Yeah. So then on your end too, it's not a lot of extra work. You just, you set it up, it's going through the software and it handles it all for you. Yeah. That's really yeah. Good. And you know, the, when you have a new client, like there's, you know, at least in my case, like two, three hours upfront work, not unpaid work that you have to do to even get this client. And you don't even know if you're going to work with him or her, you know, and, and you have already recurring client on a, on a monthly basis like you don't have to worry about you know scoping that project that much uh you don't have to worry about you know trying to sell it to the client convincing like doing all those you know extra work that we do when we have new clients right yeah i mean it's definitely it's easier to sell to someone you've already sold to you've you've built up that rapport um with everything that happened with covid did you have to dial back at all with retainers, like people who are already in, or has it stayed pretty stable? Uh, it stayed pretty stable. I would say there were a few changes weren't that much affected by uh, by what's happening. It was, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like maybe maybe there will be a difference maybe next year when some of those companies uh, 
when they uh, see losses this year and maybe they will have a different budget for the next year. So it may, mm -hmm. it may come to us with a delay. I don't know what's, what's going to happen, uh, how quickly the economy will rebound from, from all of this. But, you know, the, like in my work, um, I had a few clients that we had scheduled projects. They, they canceled because they, it's not like, you know, nothing, nothing serious happened. They just also weren't sure about the future. So they just wanted to, you know, um, wait, wait maybe for a better moment for, to redesign the website. So that was a few things like that, but you know, nothing really major, uh, changed in my, in my business. Mm -hmm. And how do you then choose your rate and your pricing? How do you decide based on the work that you're doing? Um, because I'm sure you don't only do hourly. It's probably like hourly is how you calibrate it. But then how did you choose that that base rate? Yeah, so most of my projects I quote per project. I don't, you know, like trying to estimate a number of hours or anything like that. Like that. I have pretty fixed uh project rates and I even tweeted that so it's not a secret uh so like for I tweeted that for about personal websites that for personal website I charge my my project started $10,000 just for design mm -hmm. and if it's design plus development it starts at $20,000 it's different for business sites but you know my pricing I'm trying to match it to to the needs like I can't imagine anyone who's doing a personal website to and I had this experience working with different clients even if someone is you know, is a, you know, popular and has books and you know, like, you feel like, oh, as a rich person, I can charge him whatever I want for a website. <laughs> but they also, you know, they know they are, they're very smart and, you know, they can reach out to most of design studios and agencies that will be happy to do this for them for half the price just to have them in their portfolio. So it's very hard to even, you know, uh, quote those famous people uh, mm -hmm. for a big number, for, for a huge number. Um, uh, for the project so and i also know that personal projects are not that important so i'm trying to like you know, hook people into i design them a personal website you know they are happy with it and most of them have businesses so now if they want to have me design a website for their business you know that's a different story because <laughs> their business is making a lot more money they have also a different budget to spend on a, on a business website it's that's something you know uh they think in a completely different you know way than, than about their personal websites yeah, I mean that's and that's a great hook. I mean you're you build that rapport, you get them in, and then like it's a it's like an ethical upsell. You're you're giving them like, hey, this is the product. If you love it, I can also do this. Like that's I really like that yeah, a lot. I feel do like you... I love I also love building these relationships. When you when you design a personal website for someone, you have you know that personal relationship with that person because you ask them all the questions. They are personally involved in this project more than probably they are involved in the company's project. Where you know I, I had a case when I was working on someone's personal website and I had that person personally involved. But when uh, when we designing his business website, then you know I was talking to his managers and like marketing. Uh, chief marketing officers and other people who were just, you know, doing this for the, for the business. So, you know, I feel like, yeah, it's getting through personal websites so you can get through those, you know, people and then building that relationships and slowly, you know, getting into more serious and bigger projects. That's, that's, that's the way I structure my business right now. <laughs> yeah. And then what kind of questions do you ask to your clients to, to figure out what they want? Yeah, so so I'm trying to find out like what's their goal in the in the beginning. Like, uh, 
so many clients come and they already have like plan in their head. I want to have website with this and this and this. So I'm I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. Like why? Why do you need this? And you know, then the whole conversation starts because some people say, Oh, I want to have, you know, this call to action. I want to sell my product, have my call to action for a product on a homepage. And I say, why? Because and he said, Oh, there's here's another person. He's doing the same thing as me and he has his product on a homepage. And, but I'm asking like, you know, but do, they, do you know how well that converts or like, is it even working just because some, someone else is doing this doesn't mean, you know, it's working. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm going into this why, why, why questions. And then we find out like how, you know, you sell even your product. And then we find out that he sells through some of those free products, you know, through his email newsletter. And we may figure out that we don't need to put your product on the homepage. You need to put your email newsletter on the homepage with a free incentive. And that's how we get to the to your product. So some of those, you know, um, and I'm also trying to tell my clients, like, don't tell me what to do. Tell me what you want to achieve. And we will figure this out, how you how we can achieve that, because, you know, that's, you know, could be some that's why you're hiring me to help exactly. you achieve your goals not to recreate whatever you were thinking of mm-hmm. yeah i mean deferring to you for your expertise i mean you have a vast amount of knowledge in doing this that's and that is the great way because it sounds like you're educating like the your clients your clients already have an idea coming in like who you are and how much you know but then you also make sure that you educate them on like no uh, this is this is what i'm here to do and i will satisfy for it satisfy that for you um and this has been great this has been a great conversation i don't want to take too much of your time um but i just wanted to for someone who's just starting out because you recently then you've sort of restarted you you did have the audience but someone who's starting from like the ground floor today what what kind of advice would you give them for maybe building that community building that network and getting their first client yeah, I feel like um, starting your personal website is very important. Starting your newsletter, you know, writing about what you do, uh, starting a blog, sharing everything you also learn and what you are working on. And if you are a designer and you don't have, that's that's also the most common question to me. Like, I'm a designer. I don't have a huge portfolio. How do I get through uh, through there? And you know, you can you can come up with projects like either your own side projects, personal projects. Like I created Typespiration uh, back in the day that you helped me with a name. You came up with a name. <laughs> mm-hmm. I probably owe you a lot of money one day. If I, oh, no. if I... <laughs> but you know, that was one of the side projects I came up with and it became very popular. I got a lot of even clients, people going, coming through this project, you know, and uh, a lot of people like joined my community, joined my newsletter, a lot of designers. And I was, you know, so I feel like there's a lot of changes, chances you, what you can do, you can create, uh, you know, a fake company's, company's website design, like a template and put it out there. Pretend it's a, it's, it's a company that you design for. You don't have to, you know, explain who is it and who is it for. Just, you know, you can just, just one of the case studies just to show your skills and show what you can do. And, you know, um, you have to hustle a little bit too, like this. I know that our designers like, oh, I'm embarrassed to, you know, promote myself. I'm embarrassed to like saying I'm available, like looking, I'm desperate or something like this is your business. You, you, you have to be desperate. You have to, you know, like 
want to have that work. If clients, that's what, you know, like a lot of my clients, when I work with my clients, I'm trying to show them that I'm, I'm very excited working with them. Like, you know, I'm like, their product is the most important thing to me right now. And there's nothing else that matters. And I'm super excited working with you. I'm super excited on this project. Like, you know, if, if I'm not, then I'm not taking this project at all. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And one last question then with your side project. So Typespiration and the other side projects you've done, have you tried to monetize those? Or are they purely ways to drive more business to, to your design agency? Yeah, so Typespiration uh, has a potential to be monetized. And I had some ideas. I I stopped growing Typespiration uh, for a while, but I feel like if I went back to it and, you know, started putting more designs and, and I could easily monetize it in some ways. Um, but some of my other side projects, well, I, I call them side projects, but even like, you know, my, my ebook uh, was doing pretty well when I, when I published it. Uh, and it was, you know, it it had two functions like it drove me some some of those new members of my community some of new subscribers but also every time you publish something like even an ebook for designers my name got out there somewhere and i got so many you know uh podcast interviews uh i got so many uh questions about the ebook and like established established even me as a as an authority in the in this field that I also got more clients. So whatever you do, like, you know, even if you're creating products for not specifically for your clients, it can actually bring you a lot of clients too. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to showing your work. I mean, getting out there. And I think as designers, as artists, it's really, it can be scary. Like you, like you said, yeah. we, we never think what we're doing is good enough, but there's people everywhere on their journey at any point in their journey that, even if someone's just starting out, they are going to be an inspiration for someone else who's earlier in their in their knowledge, in their education. Um, but yeah, this has been a great conversation. Um, thanks for doing this again. And where should we send people to follow along with everything that you're up to? Yeah, you can. The best place is to go to my website, rafaltamal.com. You can subscribe to my newsletter and I'm actually starting my newsletter uh, soon because it was on a pause for a while, but I'm restarting it. And if you subscribe every week, I send uh, one thing that you can learn. So it's like an article, design tip or something, you know, a thought or an idea, one thing that you can see. So I show something from my behind the scenes of my work, uh, some of my projects, some of my process. And there is one thing to get inspired. So then I show something that inspired me, some interesting project or design of someone else's. So, and that's probably the best way to get everything that I'm up to (laughs) every week. (laughs) Excellent. Well, yeah, thanks again. And I'm really glad we had to have, got to have this conversation. I think people are gonna get a lot out of it and we will talk again soon. Yeah, great, thank you. (laughs) See ya. Well, that was a great conversation. I want to thank Rafal for chatting today and be sure to visit Rafal Tomal to see everything that he's up to and to subscribe to his email newsletter. You'll find those links in the show notes. As always, this episode of Starting Now was brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T C-O to get started. Built. Your website. Built for you. Simply. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the video version of the show on YouTube. 
You'll find all the links for this episode at built.co slash 004. That's byld.co slash 004. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris, and no matter where you are in your entrepreneurial journey, I hope this episode serves as a little kick in the pants to get started now. See you next week.